Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own Brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and I am the alarmist. everyone. Thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Port Chicago weapons disaster. Here's what you need to know. At the beginning of World War II, all branches of the U.S. armed forces were segregated, working in harmony with the Jim Crow laws in the South. Young black men who enlisted were forced to serve under white officers in separate facilities and almost exclusively as mess attendants, where they served and fed white officers. When a peacetime draft was instituted in 1940, NAACP leaders met with President Roosevelt to oppose segregation. Their grievances were ignored. Despite inequality within the army, one of the nation's first war heroes was a black man. On December 7, 1941, 
Mess attendant Dory Miller was collecting laundry on board when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. A heavyweight boxer, Dory Miller carried wounded sailors to safety and manned a machine gun he had never used before to down a Japanese fighter plane. For his bravery, he received the Navy Cross. The U.S. Marine Corps began recruiting black Marines in 1942 with advertisements promising, quote, join the Navy and see the world. Men from across the country flocked to enlist, only to find that they were restricted to work in construction battalions and ammunition loading stateside. Many white officers resented being forced to accept African Americans into the Corps and refused to promote them. Despite the racism black Marines encountered, they distinguished themselves in the battles of Peleliu, Saipan, Iwo Jima, and Okinawa. But discrimination persisted. Port Chicago lies where the Sacramento and San Joaquin rivers merge before entering San Francisco Bay. The area was sparsely populated in the 1940s, and a single wooden pier allowed for only two cargo ships to be loaded at a time. The work was grueling, with eight divisions of 100 to 125 men working around the clock. All the men working as stevedores, a.k.a. ammunition loading, were black and worked under the command of white commissioned officers and marine guards. On the cool, quiet evening of July 17, 1944, floodlights illuminated the docks as 100 men worked the night shift loading two cargo ships. By 10 p.m., the SSEA Bryan was loaded with 4,000 tons of cargo including live 650-pound incendiary bombs, depth bombs, 1,000-pound bombs, 40-millimeter shells, and fragmentation cluster bombs. The SS Quinault Victory was expected to start loading at midnight, with about 429 tons of explosives waiting on the docks. At 10.18 p.m., two massive explosions ran through the air and the night sky was blinded by a flash of bright orange, followed by a billowing of smoke, fire, and debris rising to over 12,000 feet. Both ships were shattered to pieces. All 320 men working on the dock were instantly killed. The next day, black men who weren't injured were instructed to recover the bodies and resume work loading the explosives, while white officers were given a survivor's leave to be with their families. Still in shock and mourning the deaths of their fellow sailors, the surviving men protested returning to shiploading duty. Joseph Small emerged as a protest leader, urging the men to stick together. 258 men demonstrated, highlighting that they were not refusing to work, only refusing to load ammunition. The Navy accused the sailors of mutiny, with Admiral Carlton Wright threatening, quote, Mutinous conduct carries a death sentence, and the hazards of facing a firing squad are far greater than the hazards of handling ammunition. After interrogation, 208 men opted to return to work, but 50 continued to strike until they were charged and convicted of mutiny. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats The explosion killed all 320 sailors and civilians on site and injured 390 others. 
202 men, approximately two-thirds of the fatalities, were enlisted African-American sailors. 50 men, nicknamed the Port Chicago 50, were convicted of mutiny and sentenced to 15 years of prison and hard labor, as well as a dishonorable discharge. The court-martial of the Port Chicago seamen was the first U.S. mutiny trial of World War II and the largest mass trial in Navy history. By the end of the war, African-American sailors held 67 different ratings within the Navy, and more than 695,000 African-Americans were serving in the U.S. military. With us today, we have producer Alex Paul. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is writer and podcaster Darnell Brown. Hi, Darnell. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. You were also telling us that you are an amateur chef in your very own kitchen. I do. I am. I, I'm very big. I made beef Wellington for Thanksgiving. You know? Yeah. So <gasps> really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was really good. I love it. It's just the dishes I, afterwards. I, I hate. I love that choice. <laughs> yeah, I love that choice for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Personally, why carve a turkey when you can carve an expensive piece of beef? You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dreaming of having a beef Wellington since like watching Iron Chef with uh, Gordon Ramsay. Uh-huh. I've still mm-hmm. I've never had a beef Wellington in all my life. Come through. We'll make well, some. Don't worry. <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> now, Darnell, we'd like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night? Alarming me? Um, you know what? I feel like this alarms everybody because I live in the Los Angeles area. Like housing prices, man. It is, ugh, you know, like I'm from I'm from the East Coast. So, you know, my dad's house, maybe two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. I feel like out here that it get you like a shack, you know, like you can get maybe like a, a room in a basement or something somewhere. And my girlfriend is constantly showing me the videos of those reels on Instagram where like, you know, the people who are showing houses um, and it's yes, like in Texas. Real, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> we should move here. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So that definitely keeps me up. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's. Where would you guys go if you had to sell your house and just like live in a McMansion? Ooh. Hmm. Great question. No, you know, Oregon. just to stop. Just Oregon? I think I'll, I'll, I'll jump on the Oregon trail. But you guys are, realize you got to be like kind of out in the sticks. Like you're not going to be able to live near a city. Mm. Very true. Okay, that might change things. Florida? <laughs> wow, from Oregon to Florida. That is. Well, I'm uh... from Florida. I'm Florida. Darnell, I know. I see you laughing. I know you're laughing at me, and that's it's podcast. Nobody can see you're it. Right. Nobody can see it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right to laugh. <laughs> I would just say for you know family purposes. Yeah. You know, I'll be around family, and I could probably get somewhere close to the water. You know, yeah, at least drivable. Florida, we love you. You're alone there. Where would you go, Chris? Outside Albuquerque, see if I can meet the real Better Call Saul. (laughs) I'm watching that show right now, so it's like on the front of my mind. And it's also like, boy, the Southwest, huh? (laughs) I do love the aesthetic. I don't know where I would go. I mean, I wish God created a place called Fall Land because I'm a big fan of the (laughs) fall. You know, like Uh I don't like the heat. 
You know, like when it's excessively hot, boo, mm-hmm. I'm not for that. And snow, mm-hmm. I have a really small car, so boo, I'm not with that either. But the fall, <laughs> oh my God. Like you get to wear a hoodie, you get to see like the leaves change colors. It's like perfect. So if there's fall yeah. land, I'm going to vote for like this place that doesn't exist. I'd move to fall land. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel bad because, yeah, go to, ahead, Alex. Um, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're leaving Oregon and you're going to Chicago. Good luck yeah. finding a McMansion yeah. in Chicago. I think it's going to be hard. How are you going to, what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, like that you're going to, those are the same prices. You're going to find, you're going to run into the same issue. Very true. I was mostly trying to aid in a transition, but. Oh, oh I, I, wow. That went way there. over my head, Actually, Alex. I, I didn't see what, I didn't see what you did there, but yes, it was great. Very smooth. Well, I did not see. Funnily what you did enough, there, but Port Chicago, not in Chicago. True. Mm-hmm. Actually, just outside of San Francisco, and uh, thank you for the aid, Alex. I feel like we can start by discuss before we start putting things up on the board. I would love to dis, uh, start by reading some interviews of the Port Chicago Fifty, who uh, were survivors of 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 the. Uh, explosion and uh, they were the 50 who were later charged with mutiny this is robert ruth the sailor that was on recruiting duty said most of the naval personnel were taught trades these were things that you could do once you returned to civilian life and so i thought that i would be able to learn a trade jack crittenden said i was drafted out of the 12th grade into the navy I was a small town boy from little Oklahoma. I worked regular stevedore, hard labor, loading ammunition. We were loading ammunition anywhere from a size, from the size of a hand grenade, which was boxed to a blockbuster. I was there the, the next morning. It was awful. You'd see a shoe with a foot in it and you'd see a head floating across the water. Bodies just awful. And you just had mad folk at the point. Guys just lost their minds. This is from uh, Freddie Meeks, who said, oh, things were torn up. Glass windows blown out. They promised us after we cleaned up the work that they were going to give us a 30-day leave, but they didn't. If they had given us that 30-day leave, like they said, they, they would have gone back to work. But other than that, they weren't going. They said, well, if they shoot us, they just shoot us. Martin Borden, Bordenave said... I'm glad I did it. I feel that I did something for the black race. There's a little change now. I mean, from back then. It was really bad then. But like I say, I still don't think I'm a first class citizen. What I've done for myself, I did it on my own. I just hope it gets better. Right now, I have a daughter and three grandsons. I just hope, well, I'll have to make it better for them. So, I mean, an incredibly traumatic event that occurred during these, the, the uh, you know, for for the survivors and and the fact that they were asked to go back the next day and they obviously were not treated equal as the white officers that were also on duty and were not given paid leave thirty days. I mean, Crazy. nothing. They were given nothing. Hard yeah. to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, it sounds really traumatic. It really is, and. I feel like things haven't changed that much, right? Well, you still kind of ask people to do yeah. way more than they should. So, yeah. And I think those interviews are all from gathered by uh, Robert Allen, who I wanted to highlight because he did some amazing work, like 
tracking down so many of those survivors and getting audio recordings of their experiences in the Navy and their experiences of that event. And it's all cataloged, which I think is like a great way to remember the events from the actual people who experienced it. And so important because this, I would say, is one of the lesser known tragedies of our, you know, in our country. I did not know about it until Mm -hmm. Alex suggested it as an episode idea. And I will say, you know, the 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 port, the the actual port was I believe it's it's one of the it, it was made into a national park or or something like that. Oh, wow. But it's the least visited national park or national monument mm-hmm. in the United States because nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. Just tragic. Crazy. So with with some of these disasters and particularly this one are we going to look at what caused the actual explosion or, and it seems to be like where you're starting with some of these accounts of the aftermath, which was the sort of handling of um, how, you know, w- w- what happened afterwards with uh, the the men who were set to go back to work at this port afterwards. I actually think, well, nobody really knows exactly what happened because there were no survivors Anyone who was on the boat, anyone who was near the boat, they all perished, sadly. It, so I don't think we're going to figure out, we're not going to, we can't figure out who's to blame for the actual explosion, but I think we can figure out who's to blame for what led to the circumstances of this explosion. Okay. And, and, and of course, we know that the mutiny uh, or, or the charges against the, uh, what they're called, the Port Chicago 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we can discuss them, but you know that I, I think that would be a different episode for what is to blame. Okay, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm just going to guess. No survivors. Feels like racism is probably <laughs> going to be up there at some point. Should feels, we put racism on the board? Feels like racism. I'm just, just going to go out on a limb. When you said no survivors, just, I mean racism always. You know. Oh my god. Yeah. Let's start. Let's put racism. I, yes, I was. I was planning on putting racism. <laughs> um, we can like let. Let's start with the systemic racism in America as well. Um, this is from the official U.S. Navy website. In the second half of the 19th century, the Navy adopted recruitment policies that were consistent with the racism, discrimination, and separation of the races practiced by law and custom in American society. The Navy limited the ratings for which black men could apply to coal heaver, messman, steward, and cook. During World War II, black leaders advocated for desegregation of the armed forces and racial equality in the military. Under President Franklin D. Roosevelt, the Secretary of the Navy selected a committee to determine if there was evidence of discrimination. The committee concluded that allowing black men to serve in their billets would disrupt naval operations and thus no policy changes were needed. The Navy's general board concluded that black men should be restricted to serving as messmen because integration would cause friction and lower efficiency. The board also concluded that if restricting African-Americans to the messmen branch was discrimination, it, would co- it was consistent with discriminatory practices against African-Americans throughout the United States. Yeah, so they're like, I mean, if it is discrimination, it's no different from outside of the military. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
okay. That doesn't make it right. <laughs> so no. just, just kind of handing it off to the larger American racism. Yeah. 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 It's um, also wild that they say that it would cause inefficiency because I think later on it's like, no, it, it, it actually is incredibly inefficient to have so much separation. You have to have two of everything. You have to have two different training centers. I mean, it does it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's clearly not about that. Yeah, no, they were more, they, they were more just sort of like scared of any kind of backlash from probably white soldiers who who didn't want to intermix. Sure, and probably racist themselves. Right, right. I mean, well, <laughs> let's yeah, face it. Yeah. So I also feel like we should put uh, a, sec- a secret nuclear test up on the board. Mm. Mm. Okay. This is from Ground Zero. An interesting, if far-fetched, theory was advanced by the Port Chicago explosion uh, that that the Port Chicago explosion was caused not by conventional weapons, but by an early prototype of the atom bomb. In the in a 1982 article, independent journalist Peter Vogel argued that the United States had the capability to produce a nuclear device as early as the spring spring of 1944. The blast was so destructive that it completely pulverized the shop. Some eyewitnesses reported seeing a bright flash of brilliant white characteristic of a nuclear fission bomb. Hmm. So this is perhaps more of a far-fetched idea, like they said, but it's possible, and I'm sure that, you know... I'm sure there were accounts from people who were in the area who perhaps saw the blast and it must have been a frightening sight. Yeah. And you can see how people were maybe scrambling for for some kind of explanation. Yeah, I think this became like a conspiracy theory later in the 80s when they were like, oh, where where are possible times that the U.S. was like clandestinely testing nuclear weapons? And this might be an event where they were like, we can test them over here. Who cares about Port Chicago? But yeah, like you said, more Which goes of back to racism theory. too, yeah. like yeah. Charles was saying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it made me also think about, you know, I don't know the exact word, but just the idea that we always try to get so much with so little, like overworking people. Like I I made me wonder if just the way the military runs, you know, things, just the idea of their inefficiencies and the way they systems work. Because, man, like you're working people so much. Of course, accidents are going to happen, you know. This was a deadly accident, unfortunately. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And and we're going to get into the specifics of that because your instincts are right. They, they, they were not only overworking them, but they were also using these methods. Uh, you know, nobody was trained mm. and they were using methods of trying to increase productivity that were definitely unsafe to the people loading. But it goes back to a lack of caring to for, well, they, for these individuals they would encourage the different groups of of loaders to uh to race each other and yes. com- compete against each other Sheesh. um but yeah like you said i mean i just in the in the sort of research that i did they would they yeah they would encourage them to race and these guys invented their own ways of basically carrying these munitions like these 
heavy, heavy explosives. Like, right. So, they, ha- they were just inventive about it. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Well, it kind of goes into poor training, which I think that we can also put up on the board. Mm. This is from a historical article series by author Sarah Sundin. Poor training and leadership emphasize speed over safety. The enlisted men arrive straight from the basic training centers without any specific training in handling munitions. In addition, none of the officers had munitions handling experience. To increase speed of loading, the officers instituted competitions between divisions, offering free movies to the winning group. There were also reports of betting among the officers. These conditions did not foster safety. After the explosion, no new training was given, no new safeguards were instituted, and the men served under the same white officers from Port Chicago. Tensions rose as they realized they'd be asked to load ammunition again. They knew firsthand the hollowness of the promise that the ammunition couldn't detonate. So this kind of, I feel like we can put unnecessary competition and gambling or like something like making a game out of... Serious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my clumsy ass would not want to do, like, I have issues just tripping over stuff. I mean, you know, I can't imagine running around with damn rockets on my shoulders and stuff like that. Like, no, that would not end well. Especially all. without training. It would be Mm-mm. literally like being like, Darnell, right now, can you just start loading this, uh, these explosives onto... <laughs> And I'm like, nope, I guess I'm not in the military anymore. Sorry, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. It reminds me of like just being in elementary school and stuff and being like dangled pizza parties and stuff for, you know, for group being the best at your group work. Yeah, it's like the gamification of the army or something. Like why why did it all – it's like treating it like not real life. And it it, it just feels – it also feels kind of cruel. Like, yeah. just let let um, soldiers and sailors watch movies. They don't have to like, <laughs> right? <laughs> holding a bunch of explosions in order to like see a movie. They're already putting a lot on the line, just being there at all. And clearly, these people, uh, you know, these soldiers knew that they this was a dangerous ask, right? It wasn't a, a secret thing. And, and then the fact that they were not going to implement new safety measures and were just expecting them to return to work. Crazy. The, uh, the other element of this in terms of the speed was that um, we were sort of losing or the war in the Pacific, like we were not doing well. And so we needed supplies run out there at a really rapid pace. So I don't know if we want to call call into question sort of uh, naval strategy or mm. sort of military strategy in, in sort of the Pacific during mm-hmm. World War II or what, what that would be called up on the board. I guess but, we could put World War II up on the board. Yeah, well, we yeah. got to throw why that up there. This was such an important uh, port. Well, that's why the, the, port, why the they, port was created yeah, for the exactly. war. Now... I, Kind of going off that, I feel like we have to put the U.S. military up on the board. 100%. <laughs> um, this is uh, according to author Matthew F. Delmont in the Washington Post. At the start of the war, Navy policies dictated that black volunteers and draftees 
could only be mess attendants where they would serve and feed white officers. Being classified as mess attendants came at a steep cost. The Navy offered white sailors valuable job training, education, health care, and travel. By contrast, black Americans paid taxes to maintain naval bases, facilities, and training programs from which they were excluded. Despite this clear bigotry and a denial of equal opportunity, white Americans expected their black peers to, quote, appreciate the vast difference between American democracy and Hitlerism. This policy was costly and inefficient because it required the construction and maintenance of separate and redundant training facilities. Military segregation made no sense for a nation trying to win a war. It made sense only for for a nation trying to appease white racial prejudices. That's what you were talking about earlier, Alex. Alex. At the same time, that Army and Navy... At the same time that Army and Navy recruiters pleaded for volunteers after Pearl Harbor, they continued to turn away black college graduates, doctors, language specialists, tradesmen, and others with skills that would have aided the war effort. Even today, discrimination continues. According to a 2021 AP News article, Stephanie Davis joined the service in 1988 and steadily advanced, becoming a flight surgeon, commander of a flight medicine at Fairchild Air Force Base, and eventually a lieutenant colonel. But many of her service colleagues saw her only as a black woman. White resident colleagues gave her the call sign of ABW, short for angry black woman, insisting it was a joke. Mm, 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 mm. Mm-hmm. White subordinates often refused to salute her, she says. Some patients refused to call her by her proper rank or even acknowledge her. She was attacked with racial slurs, and during her residency, she was the sole black resident in a program with no black faculty, staff, or ancillary personnel. In interviews with the Associated Press, current and former enlistees and officers in nearly every branch of the armed services described a deep-rooted culture of racism and discrimination that stubbornly festers despite repeated efforts to eradicate it. Wow. So, as you said, Darnell... This is still going on. I was about to say, this feels like 2023. I was like, this, yeah. <laughs> is, this, is this today? Well, Crazy. that was 1988, but it was an article that yeah. came out in 2021. And I'm sure that, that well, I mean, it, it that's was, when she started, right? Yeah, in that's when she started. Yeah, yeah. So she was interviewed in 2021 about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, it It's really sad and, and infuriating, um, but it makes you... It makes me, at least, appreciate um, the sacrifices that these men, these black men, who, despite not being able to fight the war they want for a country that won't even fight for their personal freedoms, really, that they still uh, stood up and made a sacrifice um, you know, is, uh, is a very sort of humbling and very kind of powerful um, is powerful to me so yeah big clap for them i mean i have to say you know i have to shout out definitely the front the the family members like my grandfather fought in the korean war my dad was in the military you know ended up becoming a a state pennsylvania state trooper i even um enlisted in the uh the rotc when i was in high school and i was supposed to ship off um the year of shock and awe you know when we went you know to war um in 2003 that was the year that i graduated um but oh I didn't gosh. end up going um, for a variety uh, of reasons. But 
my dad always talked about, you know, and it's something I didn't realize until later. Um, when you listen to the radio in our local area, the, there will be tons of commercials about come to the mall. There's going to be some army recruiters and we're going to give you balloons. And all you have to do is sign up for the military. But you go to another neighborhood that, you know, has some of our fairer skinned brothers and sisters out there. It'll just be, you know, Green Day and rock and roll and stuff. And you would never hear any of those you know, commercials about coming to the war. And my dad went to war because he wasn't given a choice. They, nobody told him about going to college, you know. And now, look at me. I get to be on the podcast with you guys because I was given those opportunities, you know. So it's yeah. a tale as old as time, you know. Yeah. So do you want to put, uh, you know, American propaganda machine up there too? Because something... That that just makes me think that, you know, part of this, you know, you know, I would like to think that the 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 men who were recruited to war in World War II were were doing it out of the kindness of their heart, but you also think they were probably lied to in certain ways and targeted in other ways um, by a recruiting effort um, made by the military. Or does that sort of fall under the military in general? Well, there's something that I like about that, which is the uh, uh, the fact that these people were not told exactly what they were getting themselves into. And that relates to these men who were loading explosives on uh, onto the ships in, in, on the port, right? They were, but I don't know what you call that. That's like messaging. That's like uh, on it's propaganda or, or like predatory recruitment. Yeah. I think predi- pre- yeah. I mean, predatory recruitment feels right. To that me. feels good. <laughs> and it's so true because it to me it's so confusing, right? It's like they were targeting recruitment. They were saying, join the Navy, you'll see the world. And so they clearly needed and wanted people in the Navy. And like Darnell, you were saying, like targeting certain neighborhoods. But then once you were in the Navy, you were treated like you didn't belong there and you actually shouldn't be there. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm confused. Didn't you recruit me? Didn't you draft me? Right. Why am I here if you are just going to treat me poorly and 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 treat me like I shouldn't be here at all? Yeah. It sort of feels like the kind of insidious, seductive lie of the American dream, right? It's like mm. they, they, they tell you that you are a second-class citizen. How do you become a, a fully valued citizen? Go sacrifice your life you know, for this country, and then we will value you. Um, But you may not make it back home, you know, and but we all can kind of relate to that, right? You want to be made, you want to be a part of something, you want to have value. And there's something really seductive about that when you are putting a value on on human life in a way. So yeah. Yeah. My AP history teacher yeah, that- would love all of this right now. <laughs> She's like, oh, he listened. I, uh, I forget. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I'm like, man, I did remember some of that stuff. Shout out to all AP history teachers yes. and just general high school history, all history teachers out there. Because you're, you're, you're fighting the good fight as well. You really... For real, really they're getting to. books snatched out from underneath them. I know. I know. As we speak. They're being told how they can uh, teach their history. Mm-hmm. And, but 
why don't we put up institutional racism for now? Because I know okay. we're running out of time. Well, we got systemic racism. Uh, do we have but, just a capital well, we have different R, kinds of racism. racism? Now we have institutional oh, so many racism. flavors of racism in this episode. Yes. Know, which one are we going with? The Sriracha yeah, yeah. version? The Cool Ranch? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're out of you're out of food truck. I was at like a 31 flavors like ice cream sorbet oh, okay, place. That I was like, too. yeah, can I taste mm-hmm. that institutional racism? Just give me a small spoonful of that. Yeah. Um, this is according to Smithsonian Magazine. The black sailors at Port Chicago had voiced their safety concerns numerous times over the prior year. White officers pitted different divisions against each other, pushing the sailors to race to load the most tonnage during their shifts. Winners got access to recreational privileges, radios, and black newspapers. But as the pace uh, ratcheted up, so did the risk of an accident. Like other black servicemen assigned to heavy backbreaking labor... The black sailors at Port Chicago also chafed, chafed at working in segregated units under the supervision of white officers. They described themselves as a chain gang, mule team, and slave outfit, and understood that they were cheap labor. A year before the explosion, a group of sailors had written to a local attorney warning that morale had dropped to a, an alarming depth and asked for help, quote, We, the Negro sailors of the Naval Enlisted Barracks of Port Chicago, California, are waiting for a new deal. They said in conclusion, will we wait in vain? Four days after the explosion that destroyed Port Chicago, the Navy began its investigation. Three senior officers and a judge and a judge advocate interviewed 125 witnesses over a month, only five of whom were black sailors. The officers pointed their fingers at the enlisted men. Quote, the consensus of opinion of the witnesses is that the colored enlisted personnel are neither temperamentally or intellectually capable of handling high explosives. The judge advocate concluded it is an admitted fact supported by the testimony of the witnesses. And there was rough and careless handling of the explosives being loaded aboard ships at Port Chicago. I mean, talk about victim blaming. Talk (laughs) about discrimination. Uh, This has it all. Especially the fact that the, the people who were interviewed, only five of them were black sailors. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't interview the like, 200 plus that were just killed it's crazy yeah and then they were like um yeah they they weren't intellectually capable of handling the explosions it's like well whose fault is that and who you didn't is- train you didn't offer yeah it took training. a lot of intellect yeah. for you guys to put that shitty plan into place to have people running around with yeah. <laughs> on their shoulder but they're not intellectually available to answer your questions yeah. Yeah. Sounds about America. Sounds about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, is infuriating. Just thinking about that sort of sham investigation. Um, to put it, just to like throw it back at them, the people who yeah, exactly. were, lost their lives and were being forced to do this under, you know, circumstances that they knew were dangerous and had clearly said something about it. We're hoping. Yeah. They had already voiced their concerns. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, it's good to kind of get a name behind who we can really blame here. And I'm thinking we can put Captain Nelson H. Goss. Yes. Right? 
Okay. I want to do my Game of Thrones like shame, shame thing at somebody. I was waiting oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, from the U.S. Naval Institute website. Nine months before the explosion, the Coast Guard issued safety regulations on the handling of military explosives in domestic ports. The regulations banned a accumulations of ammunition on on the pier and criminalized the common practice of rolling explosives along the pier i mean i just have to pause there for a moment because it's like everyone's talking about it you <laughs> this is very unsafe rolling explosives along the pier okay I'll continue. It's only a missile. You know, it's not like it's that <laughs> yeah, yeah. dangerous. Like what? It's only a missile. I don't know anything about ammunition. I don't know anything about loading. And I can tell you that this is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the very least, get a skateboard underneath it or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The senior Navy officer at Port Chicago, Captain Nelson H. Goss, viewed Coast Guard safety regulations as an impediment to his goal of loading 10 tons of ammunition per hatch per hour. Consequently, he felt justified in violating these regulations. Captain Goss's orders to ignore safety regulations had disastrous consequences. The Navy court investigation uh, investigating the explosion acknowledged that Goss purposefully disobeyed Coast Guard regulations. The court attempted to justify the captain's actions by criticizing the Coast Guard regulations as an impractical burden. I'm so angry right now. Okay, I'll continue. Captain Goss was exonerated for the disaster, while the sailors who refused to continue working under such conditions were charged with mutiny. Jeez. But also not surprising, right? Like it always, it, no. it feels like the obvious end to the story. Interesting. It's, it's, it's just so sad. I'm yeah. Sp- at every turn, um, they were faced with just like racist policy, racist people, racist systems and i again it sounds so scary to um have the experience of um i'm going to be risk being charged with mutiny which means i'll be possibly killed by the state and i would rather be like killed by the state than continue this work like it has to get so bad for those 50 men to be that um, strong in their decision. And yeah, just a huge sacrifice to stand up for the bad conditions or against them. Yeah. So I feel like Captain Goss deserves his place. Get in there. This board. Get Especially in there. if he was exonerated. That's what the alarm is for. Can you believe it? I totally can I believe just, it. Oh, yeah. I know. I th- But that, and that's, I can't believe it. And I'm so angry. It's just so why it's upsetting to me that this isn't something that we know more about or that isn't talked about more or taught talked about at all. At all. Yeah. It's It's weird. When I was reading the the research, though, there was a character in there um, or not a character. I'm sorry. An an actual person. The uh, mess (laughs) mess attendant. Dory Miller, and I think he was yes. the character that Q 
Cuba Gooding Jr. played in that movie Pearl Harbor. Because when I read it and it was talking about the machine gun, I remember a shot of like Cuba Gooding behind this like huge ass machine gun and like shooting down one of the planes. And I was reading the research and I was like, oh, yeah, that was in the movie. But then there's this whole other story that obviously a Michael Bay explosion, you know, extravaganza. Yeah. Want to fit that part of it in there. But this is a whole story in itself, you know, it feels like a yeah. kind of like uh, uh, one of those like legal thrillers. Cause these people had the truth on their hands, like you said, Alex, and they were threatened. Yeah, totally. You know? Well, let's, let's take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the list. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side. Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, who's to blame for the Port Chicago weapons disaster? Is it systemic racism in America, secret nuclear explosion, poor training, gamification of the army, bad military strategy, World War II, U.S. military, American war propaganda, predatory recruitment, the lie of the American dream, institutional racism, or Captain Goss? Hmm. Okay, it's a it's a good list. I think a lot I of guess big we could, chunky yeah. items on this list. Like I feel like one that I feel good about taking off the list is this secret nuclear explosion because hmm. I just don't think there's enough evidence to back it up. Okay, yeah. Can can we talk about the difference between because I you know I think in going over going over them 
it was clear, but systemic racism, racism in America and the institutional racism in America, I believe when we were talking about the institutional racism, we were talking about the Navy and the Navy's inquiry, you know, the Navy's basically yeah. practices, their segregation at the time, did not allowing um, black Navy uh uh, personnel to advance and yes. you know whites also always in charge of the 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 you know the unit or whatever and then when we were talking about systemic racism I think we were talking more about sort of the historical racism that was at play at the time in society in, in society general. so it's right? kind of a bigger picture gotcha gotcha okay yeah mm-hmm. I mean the way we were talking about it it made me feel like the like systemic racism fuels the racism within the institution you know like i don't like if we were a great country and we weren't racist i don't think that the institutions that hold up this country would be racist and these people wouldn't have died you know in in the context in the way we were talking about the difference between systemic racism and, and institutional racism feels like one maybe fueled the other in a way yes i i would agree with that they are often conflated, and I'm seeing on uh, that that on Wikipedia, they're they're basically they're saying they're the same thing. Mm, um, I don't think so. Well, but yeah. well, I, I'm just saying, broadly speaking. But what I'm what I'm trying to get at, regardless of those terms, what are we talking about when we when we want to put up on the board? Uh, systemic racism. I think we're talking maybe more about historical racism in and America, and I think our, in our, and I our think country, in our country, and then the institutional racism is the racism specifically in the military, in the navy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm we kind of can... laughing. It's like, should we just do racism? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to say no to that. <laughs> just yeah. put it, let's just put it in there. <laughs> I mean, it seems like they were both pretty much. They were very, you know, like Darnell said, they like fed into each other right it's mm-hmm. like all everywhere you turn it's either policy or it's how you know people just culturally treat you or whatever it mm-hmm. is we can say well, like racism yeah. in all of its children you know it's like racism, racism in i love all that all of its yes. children yeah. yes i love that now let's let's knock some stuff or fold into uh, let's ha- fold some things into each other. Like gamif- gamification of the army, I think we can take that off, and mm-hmm. as well as poor training, I, I feel like that folds folds into racism. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Other soldiers were given proper training. Yeah, right. Um, the 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 war. World War One, I, I mean, two. I think that. Uh, sorry, World War Two, mm-hmm. <laughs> different war. Um, it, I feel like that's just what was happening at the moment, or that's that's what kind of was fueling the ammunitions having to be put on ships, and 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 they needed more at a faster pace. Yeah, but, theoretically, we were fighting fascism. Uh, and mm-hmm. discrimination mm-hmm. and mar- marginalization. That's why America was in the war. So, yeah, isn't that ironic? Mm-hmm. The American war propaganda and the predatory recruitment. I'm not sure we have enough kind of evidence. Not to say that you know it, that's sort of more. I think we were talking more about 
um, that How kind they of got stuff there in the first place. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, to me that sort of falls, gets folded into world war two in general, which was just like this massive countrywide effort of like all hands on deck, like anybody who can help needs to help. Um, you know, obviously there's problems with predatory recruitment today, but that's probably a different, yeah, a different disaster for a different, uh, podcast episode. And I also feel like the lie of the American dream folds into that mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I feel like institutional racism and systemic racism in America, we're folding that into racism in all of its children, mm-hmm. which I like. All of its badass kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, bad military strategy. I feel like can fold into the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. So it leaves us with the final four U.S. military. Oh, actually, it's the final three. Captain Goss and racism and all its children. And I'll tell you where I'm leaning toward what I'm leaning towards. And tell me what you think. I think we should send. Ooh, actually, this is hard. I was going to say Captain Goss. It's hard because I don't. Uh, I mean, in a way, Captain Goss folds into the U.S. military, or yeah. does the U.S. military fold into Captain Goss? No, I mean, I think, I don't know what you guys think. To me, he's like a co- more of a cog in the machine than a, than sort of somebody who is like in, but, inventing these broad policies. And there are so many, there are so many ways in which the, what was going on at the port was sort of... Mm-hmm. Um, unsafe and and but and he feels particularly bad for the <laughs> to yeah. me for this yeah i mean I, that's because we read about him i'm sure if we read about literally any of the other white yeah captains true. during this time i'm sure we would be like oh he was particularly yeah <laughs> evil. yes that's a good point he is giving jack nicholson a few good men you know vibe, yeah you know like very <laughs> totally specific <laughs> you know his actions it's just so upsetting that he was exonerated. Yeah. So I feel like I want to like point him out, you know, in some way. Yeah. And and to just circle back to what we were sort of starting with, where we were sort of examining who's to blame and what we were, you, what you had, were leaning towards was the sort of aftermath and sort mm-hmm. of injustice. To me, that's on the, the Navy to meet out that justice fairly. And the way that, that they went about that was pretty egregious and Mm -hmm. that seems to me to be um really reprehensible and and to have those 50 men um charged with mutiny sentenced to 15 to 16 years of uh hard labor um and dishonorable and then yeah yeah exactly just seems awful um yeah go on darno it's so interesting listening to you chris because it's like hearing that you know, and thinking about where our country was at that time. And even today, all of these institutions are reflective of the country that they exist in, right? So, like, yeah, the U.S. military is that, but is not, you know, the U.S. military is reflecting 
what our country was at that at that time in a way. So it's it's like DOS does fold into the US military, but like it's not like the US military was this like specifically egregiously racist institution. But like That's true. outside of America, it was like rainbows and Perfect. Skittles, yeah. you know? Like so true. You know, so it's such a weird I mean, you could do this all day, right? Everything always folds into one another, but it was yeah. just interesting listening to you say that. It's like it is kind of indicative of the country, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. So then I th- I say we send racism and all its children to the alarmist jail and we slap the U.S. military. Mm. Sounds good to sounds me. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me too. All right, I'm going to call it. U.S. military, you're getting the big slap. Racism and all of your children, you're going to the alarmist jail. Um, is this the first time we have adolescents? Underage. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Yes. I mean, you know, it had to happen. It was, it did. And we don't provide, I don't think we provide daycare. No. Definitely. Not for reasons. No. America doesn't Not provide for- daycare. So. <laughs> no. I mean, so, and- <laughs> what do you think this is, Europe? Come on. <laughs> the alarmist jail is just an extension of the american mm-hmm. it's a reflection system yeah Ooh, kind of like mm. if you look at everything we've put in the alarmist jail it is a reflection of our society so man i was present I for know. putting racism in jail this feels really man <laughs> Yeah, you did it. I did it. It's like Kamala Harris. We did it, Joe. We did it. You put racism in prison. Finally. Well, Darnell, we literally could not have done this without you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. In the aftermath, Throughout the remainder of World War II, African-American sailors continued to fight discrimination through collective protest, often resulting in arrests and charges of mutiny. In the months following the Port Chicago disaster, the USS Mason, one of two naval ships with a predominantly African-American crew, heroically protected ship convoys from German U-boat attacks as they crossed the Atlantic Ocean. That same year, the Navy commissioned its first 13 black officers, who joined more than 100,000 black enlisted sailors. In 1945, Phyllis May Daly became the first African-American woman sworn in as a Navy nurse, and she was one of only four black women to serve in the Navy during World War II. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram, at The Alarmist Podcast, and on Twitter, at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early, with fact-checking by Chris Smith, and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the John Bonet Ramsey case. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.